0: Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, going to guide you gently through another show. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Washcook, PR Week's uh, editorial guru. How are you doing, Frank?
1: I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Are you pleased about the US qualifying for the
0: last 16 of the World oh, Cup?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm pleased as punch. It was... Uh good to get to the final 16 yesterday i've had the it's, i've had the hulk hogan theme playing in my head for a full day now that the u.s <laughs> is through and i'm just i'm excited for saturday absolutely
0: yeah u.s england and australia are all qualified That's so right. uh, yeah good stuff it's gonna be a good fun weekend of sport and our special guest this week is stacy jones who's senior md head of corporate communications at accenture stacy welcome to the show how are you doing
2: Well, I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you for having me join you today, Steve and Frank. Uh, It has made this blustery day here in the New York area a whole lot more enjoyable.
0: Yep, it is a bit miserable out there, but we're going to create the fun on the PR week. We'll talk to Stacey, then we'll chat about the World Cup from a branding point of view, how brands are interacting, brand guitar, lots of storylines there. We'll recap Thanksgiving and Black Friday and the whole sort of retail area and marketing around that. Couldn't be a show at the moment without chatting about Twitter and Elon, so we'll update on that. Martin Sorrell and uh, Arthur Sudun, two holding company heavyweights, have had a bit of a spat. Frank will talk us through that. We'll check out the global economic outlook for 2023. We're almost at the end of the year, so uh, thoughts turning towards that. People moves, as usual, and we've launched our PR Week Women of Distinction call for entries, so we'll chat about that. Let's start with you, Stacey. (laughs) been a pretty busy year for Accenture by the looks of it. I was doing my research like I do 23 acquisitions I think and it seems like you're growing like crazy. You've got 700,000 plus staffers now in 50 plus countries so sounds like it's been a fantastic year Stacey. Talk us through
2: it. Yeah I mean so many things to talk about Steve and thank you for uh, asking for following our business and one of the things that I'm most excited about is the year looking at the metaverse and how Accenture has really pioneered that for our clients, for our people, working with our partners. We actually have brought on 200,000 new employees since our fiscal year 21, and we have onboarded 150,000 of them in the metaverse. And why is that interesting? Well, the metaverse is a place where learning is more immersive and all of us sitting at our home desks for many days this year, connecting with colleagues in the metaverse and being able to interact, and in our case, all over the world. You could be sitting beside a colleague in the metaverse from Denmark if you're in Chicago. It has really opened whole new frontiers, onboarding, teaching, and connecting our people around the world.
0: That's a really interesting uh, development because you, you hear loads of talk about the metaverse, don't you? But there's often when you kick the tires of it, there's very little substance behind it. But it sounds like you're using it in a really meaningful way in terms of employee engagement and internal communication. So what is it about the metaverse, for example, that is, is more beneficial than, say, um, you know, Zoom or Slack or other sort of cooperative What's the metaverse helping you to do Accenture, which, you know, you couldn't do before?
2: Yeah, well, I'll give you one fact about what's really beneficial in the learning aspect because it is immersive. Studies have shown it's actually 33% more effective as a teacher of subjects and content but I wanna back up a second. There are actually three ways that I think looking at the metaverse, both for communicators and business, and you know, communicators, they're at the heart of business, we know that, right? Number one, it's a new channel to buy stuff. And perhaps that's the most obvious one, but it's really proliferating. Every retailer and every business that's thinking about selling something, they've gotta be thinking about this. They have their physical stores, they have their online presence, but having this as a continuum, is a must do, it's a must explore. Secondly, and we talked about what we're doing at Accenture, the employee experience. Uh, This is only be going to come more and more helpful to employers, to employees, to teach, to connect people. I mean, we are in a world now beyond spaces and places, right? We're not in offices, we're not just at home, we're working in locations, we're working in coffee shops. The world of work is turned on its ear. And having another channel, not the only channel, not a replacement channel, but in addition to connect your people and to teach your people, it's just an absolute must do. And then the third way that is starting to emerge is the whole world of manufacturing, creating digital twins. You know, How can I inspect a factory that's halfway around the world without going there? Well, if I have a digital twin and I can visit it in the metaverse, That's an amazing way to be safe and also efficient. So it's really opening up a lot more avenues for businesses, for consumers. And I want to keep saying that word, and it is one more channel. It's not a replacement, but it's something that everyone in business and as a communicator should really be thinking about and just getting started trying a few things and dipping your toe in the water is going to be important to understand it as it emerge, emerges and becomes more mature
0: and i guess it's uh, something that you're also uh, advising your clients on as well so by walking the walk internally you're gaining experience that's helping you in your counsel to clients are you finding a lot of interest in that from from the people that you're working with
2: absolutely Absolutely. And uh, if you compare it to blockchain, you know, that was a new technology a few years ago where the world kind of blew up and said, oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? And at the time we were saying, figure out your place in it, evaluate it and then make a move with the metaverse because it's moving so rapidly and everyone is dipping their toe in the water. This is a must understand. This is a must get involved. And this is a must figure out how it fits for your business, for your people. The opportunity in particular is how to use it across the enterprise, how to make it a part of the day-to-day in business and make it another option to connect with people, to teach and to learn.
0: And from a communications point of view, is there one thing that really stands out that you could say, yeah, that was a perfect use of the metaverse that really illustrated the value it can add?
2: Well, I, I think there are probably a couple. And it is personal communications, person to person, that enables individuals to be closer to colleagues that they would never meet, they would never interact with, they would never learn from. And I will go back to this onboarding experience, which was pretty easy in the physical bricks and mortar world, right? You brought people to a conference room, you set them down, you learned around a table, you had an instructor. And given what we've been through with the disruption, we have found that this is an actual, viable, and really exciting and important alternative. And you start with onboarding, but then you use it as a hub later on for people to come back together with, together to learn and to grow. And it opens up spaces and places that you wouldn't have if you weren't able to get on a plane. You don't necessarily have to do that to connect every Thursday night with your start group that you met on day one at Accenture. You may get back together to share how things are going in the metaverse. We have our nth floor where you can go and gather at any given time and meet colleagues, learn things and share ideas.
0: Yes, interesting. So you you've been at uh, Accenture for over 20 years. So you must have seen the business evolve considerably in that time. How do you perceive Accenture now as a business? How would you describe yourselves? You made some interesting acquisitions of ad agencies and other agencies, mm-hmm. so but you're very much a consultancy high level company where do you fit into the universe, if you like, you know, maybe when you compare your competitive set and then, you know, there's the holding companies, the marketing services, holding companies yeah. and the other consulting firms. Talk us through wh- where you see yourselves and how it's evolved over the last couple of decades.
2: Yeah. And I would kind of turn your question around, Steve. I think there's nowhere that we don't fit in and we have gone many moons ago from a more traditional management consultancy Again, working across now 40 industries, advi- advising clients in every aspect of their business, their strategy, their operations. You know, we'll, we'll come in and help you do something that isn't something you want your employee base doing day to day. We'll help you with that. We can help you with your technology. I mean, everything from the metaverse, which we've talked a lot about, AI, cloud. Cloud is absolutely essential for almost every business today. And you mentioned uh, SONG, Accenture SONG, which is our interactive agency and helping with digital and what we call life centric experiences that really puts a consumer at the heart of everything we do in a new way. That, too, has become absolutely even more essential during these times that, you know, the pandemic has really turned
0: well done, its here. Yeah, talk to us about that because you, as a consultancy business, I guess people were always out on the road a lot, weren't they? And they were probably virtual and hybrid before COVID. How much of a big of a change was it for Accenture workers, and and how many were already doing that sort of hybrid type uh, work?
2: Yeah, yeah. As as you say, we had we had a real head start on that because our workforce has always been extremely mobile and very technologically. Uh, plugged in, right? So making that move in March 2020, largely to our homes, right? It was simple because we had a way to do it that was practiced. It was known. So what did we do? We turned around and helped our clients take their businesses very quickly. Some of them have never been out of an office and we had them over the course of a weekend, fully enabled, fully empowered working at home. So that's something again, that with spaces and places not being the focus, and now the world is turning toward you know, earning your commute. If, if you're asking me to come in the office, then we need to think through a strategic way to make that day valuable, to make connections intentional, and to help the person who made the commute walk away with some good value. So mm-hmm. it has been uh, an amazing journey, and I think it's still evolving how the workplace is going to shake out. Now, I will share one stat that was some from some recent research we did, that one in six people feel connected, really closely connected to their company right now. But the interesting part of that is around 40 some percent who were working at home felt connected, whereas nearly half of that number felt connected who were working in the office. So we're seeing some interesting dynamics And the workplace is really rebuilding toward the future of work, and companies really will be challenged, and I think we'll all be challenged as communications leaders, to find ways to earn our team's commute, connect with our teams, and make sure everyone does feel like they have a place in this new workplace of the future.
0: Yep, that's uh, absolutely true. We're doing a special feature on that in our January batch of content. So look out for that. And we'll, we'll dive into well, that. That
2: will be well read. <laughs> yes,
0: I'm sure. Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> um, and then finally, you're advising clients a lot on ESG matters, I know. And you had some interesting research that came out that showed majority of companies are not on track to hit their net zero targets. Just talk us through that a little bit. That's slightly worrying.
2: Yeah, it it was a little bit sobering to read. Uh, There's a roadmap, certainly. But as we looked across the global 2000 companies uh, who have publicly stated targets, it was about 34% of them. So the world is not there in terms of stating targets, but we're seeing more every day. And that set of companies, only um, a handful were really on target to hit their net zero goals. So a third have the targets. And the majority, vast majority are not there. 93%, in fact, companies with net zero commitments, they're going to miss them. So that's almost everyone right now. Do we think that will change? Absolutely. And this is a big deal for communicators because we need to prepare to promote and protect, right? There's, There's certainly a lot of ESG backlash out there. That's no secret. But there's also a lot of good news in this space. And there's a lot of work to be done to tell a simple story. This is a very complex set of data, information. The pressure on ESG is only becoming becoming more significant. But it's interesting. Here's a a fun fact, or or maybe a surprising fact, rather. The Ukraine war has actually galvanized action in this space, not dampened ambition. And investment expectations, commitment, spending around sustainability – they're all up. So we're going to continue to see investment in this place. And based on current trends, right now, again, we're only seeing 8% of companies reach net zero by 2050. So there's a lot of work to do. I don't think we'll land there, but certainly as communicators, we need to prepare to tell our company's story in a super clear way through a very complex lens of data, reporting indices, and differing approaches around the
0: world. And is that global data, Stacey, or is it US only?
2: It is. It's it's very global data.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a lot to be done in that space and we've uh, and companies need a lot of help with it. So uh, yeah, we'll be covering that as well. It's an ongoing thing that uh, PR Week's been covering in, in our content and also at our big conference in uh, Chicago in the fall. Stacey, we'll get your input into some of our news stories, but thanks for that Chat, Frank. Let's dig into the World Cup because the football's uh, obviously taking precedence now. But there's a lot of side chat about things like the brand Qatar, the, the the where brands should interact and how they are interacting, and you know because of the human rights issues in in that country, and and uh, it was a very controversial award, wasn't it? um not least because we're actually watching this in the near the end of the year rather than the summer when the tournament normally takes place. So give us a quick recap of where we're up to date and the things that have jumped out for you in that respect.
1: One interesting thing about it is that, um, you know, talking in the past week or two with, with people who don't follow soccer that closely I mean they have a lot of questions you know such as isn't the world cup generally played in the summertime and um, one of my favorites is what is going to happen to all of these stadiums when this tournament is is done and I it's not something they're going to tear them down right or they're just gonna
0: I don't know well it's interesting because I went to Brazil and they built I mean they always generally do build a bunch of new stadiums and I know the one up in Manaus in the rainforest was it's a a parking lot which is really sad you know Mm. Um, but I, I suspect Qatar is a slightly richer com- country than Brazil and they have the uh, resources. You'd hope it will stimulate uh, activities and I think they might have a plan for what they're going to do with them afterwards. That, you, that part of it, you have obviously the, the issue around workers dying right. in the construction of these uh, stadia is, is a big issue. But the, the actual construction was on time and, and the stadiums are incredible from what, from what you can see. Now,
1: do, do you think that the, the country of Qatar has come off well? During this, because, I mean, one one thing that I, I have heard people say and that I think is obvious to anybody watching the game is, is there doesn't seem to be a lot of local turnout at the games. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest within the country in an, of Qatar in and of itself for the tournament.
0: It has a small population, really. Yeah. It's a very small place um, compared to where World Cups are normally held. And a lot of the population is... Uh, migrant workers. So they're not citizens, as as it were. And I, th- I don't think the average Qatari can afford to go to the games. Sure. Mean, but there certainly seems to be a lot of fans there from the different countries.
1: There do. And, and so it doesn't look like there's really been any sort of mass uh, boycott. And I think brands have gone along with it uh, as well as they could have, and I think that the tournament's been exciting. There's been upsets. Um, there have been some some teams squeaking through to the the final sixteen that maybe you wouldn't have thought they are going to get through. Um, so I think the 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 games themselves have been great. Um, I, I I think it's hard to separate the host country of Qatar and the controversies around it from the tournament itself, though. Yeah,
0: there's been some interesting developments. Like it's almost brought the Middle East closer together. Yeah. You know, with um, the, the, the fans supporting all the Middle Eastern countries, whether it's uh, Saudi Arabia or <laughs> Iran or, you know, um, and there was the, the Qatari emirates was wearing was draped in a saudi flag which wouldn't have happened um a couple of years ago i don't think so i think it's 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 helped in that respect people seem to be having fun and yeah, they do you know maybe having a a, a world cup that isn't alcohol drenched and full of drunken english football fans is not such a bad thing but um and certainly the people out there Seem to be having a good time and it's bubbling away nicely. It's going to be um, it's going to be a great tournament, but I do you know it just leaves a bad taste in the mouth a little bit.
1: It, it does. I think it does. Um, I would say that uh, doing our morning newsletter this morning and having the the news on in the background, the U.S. game against Iran from yesterday with all of the political sidebars that go with it. I mean, was was leading all the cable news networks. I'll be interested to see the ratings when they come out and whether they go up given all the excitement that this game generated. So TBD on that, I do have a media relations angle here, and it's that I am very intrigued to see in the, and we're recording this on Thursday, uh, but I'm sorry, we're Wednesday. recording this, <laughs> excuse me, on Wednesday. Uh, over the next week, the the American sports media is interested in, in Louis van Gaal, the colorful Dutch coach. Uh, yeah. um, and, you know, what kind of antics? Happen he's, at press he is
0: a character. Yeah. He used to manage my club, Manchester United, and uh, he's, yeah, he's a lot of fun. Look him up on YouTube for some There's some, a lot, some lot of great tips. YouTube videos. Not Not all safe for work, uh, Louis Van Gaal tips. But uh, yeah, the it was great for Fox, wasn't it? Yeah. Because they had the big game on Friday, the soccer game, then the big college game on Saturday, and then the massive Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants. I think it was a record-breaking weekend for
1: a viewership there. So, What is your impression of how Fox has handled this tournament
0: i don't love some of the pundits not Mm. gonna lie um you know alexi lalas is marmite isn't he you love him or hate him um i i like the nbc coverage of the premier league and um but you know it's solid um one of the guy rob stone the main anchor actually had a he had a bad throat didn't he so he was off air for the first uh few days and mm-hmm. tom rinaldi had to step in for him as well i like kate abdo who, who does the champions league so you know it's okay i do know a lot of brits in america who've been getting the british feed from itv and bbc or or getting uh, you know alternative commentary but um yeah it's 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 uh, the the timings have worked out quite nicely haven't they? yeah they have um, so yeah yeah lots to come there did you enjoy the Peyton Manning, David Beckham ad, Frank?
1: I, I really didn't. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I think that the brands have gone to this like football versus soccer. Well, too often, yeah. it's getting a bit old. It's a bit boring, isn't it?
0: Stacey, have you been? Never watching the World Cup? Has it been on your radar?
2: A bit. Um, I definitely follow the scores and. Uh Certainly, I'm a a fan of Team USA, so enjoyable from that perspective, for sure.
0: Yeah, and the game has fallen on a Saturday morning, so that is good. I think that's good timing because it won't clash with the other sports, and it's on the weekend, so the ratings should be good for that.
2: It was very high. And, uh, you know, there was an
1: interesting thing with it this morning, too, in that you see athletes using social media. All the time to put the message out that they want to get out, and uh, Christian Pulisic put his uh, use his Instagram to say he was going to play Saturday. I mean, we'll see if he actually does.
0: Yeah, he got injured scoring the goal, didn't he? So, yeah. uh, but a bit squeaky at the end, wasn't it, Frank? It, it was a uh, very nervous nine minutes of extra added time, and uh, and some close calls too. Yeah, there were. So, yeah, it was, it's good fun. Well, I love the World Cup, but uh, there you go. All right, let's talk Thanksgiving, Black Friday. We just had that big weekend, uh, massive retail. Bonanzas, what's uh, stuck, what stuck out for you, Frank, in terms of brands and trends that you were seeing?
1: So it's, um, it's a mix. And I, I think you're really seeing kind of the first Thanksgiving in a few years where uh, brands and people are kind of getting back to normal, so to speak. And I think you're seeing the campaigns that you might have seen in 2018 or 2019, uh, earlier than that. And a lot less you know, focused on you know, loneliness or getting together or, or pandemic-related. Topics. Uh, So, of course, uh, Corn Kid was in one. We can't have a podcast without talking about Corn Kid. Um, But, you know, we we had a lot of really wholesome campaigns. You know, McCormick uh, did something that was honoring people who have given back to their communities in a lot of ways. A fun one is uh, Bacardi, uh, which did this campaign called Winter Summerland. Uh, that aims to bring beachy vibes to the Thanksgiving table this year, which is very welcome given the cold and rainy weather we've been having in this part of the country. Uh, And the supermarket giant uh, Kroger has been sort of doing a combo campaign in which they try to celebrate the 2020 uh, and more recent uh, holiday seasons all at the same time. So interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, um, Stacey, you mentioned retail and the metaverse. Do you, where how do you see this playing out? Because we got Cyber Monday, we have like Small Business Saturday, okay. Giving Tuesday, and Black Friday. Are those days going to sort of fade away if everyone's shopping, you know, virtually? Or, or how do you see that playing out?
2: Well, I, a couple of fun facts, and there's there's probably an argument for both, uh, which I'll make. Uh, one is our annual holiday shopping survey, which has been something of a bellwether of consumer opinion, we found that 30% of consumers plan to shop in the metaverse or at least buy in a virtual experience this holiday shopping season. And 67% of retail executives said their company is starting to experiment and explore how the metaverse and virtual products and services are going to add to their business, right? So there's a lot of exploration and interest on that end. At the same time, 51% of consumers shopped in stores. So the bricks and mortar piece still feels very essential and very important to this experience. So it will be a really interesting unfolding of the future. What we also found is that consumer expectations, particularly post-pandemic and with all the digital personalization, they're sky high. Mm. So there's going to be a continued need to surround with technology, personalization, Serving up opportunities that are really meaningful to you, based on data, no matter bricks and mortar or metaverse oriented.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Cyber Monday was still popular. Maybe we should rename it Metaverse Monday. Who knows? But um, and it wouldn't be Black Friday well, without.
2: I, I'm still getting offers right <laughs> yeah. on email. You missed this, but we're so it, it's sort of endless right now yeah, yeah. and we'll see where it goes
0: yeah and it wouldn't be black friday without the obligatory news story of people fighting over a tv set in the morning on, on black friday that's uh, a, a local news staple so yeah frank what's going on with twitter and elon is it quietening down a bit on that front
1: it's really not it's um he's uh, been going after apple and tim cook which is um i think most people would advise you not to pick that fight um <laughs> with uh you know making some of the more, uh, most indispensable products in the world. He's been one of one of the more entertaining parts of Twitter recently has been the contingent on Twitter that uh seems to believe Elon Musk can just make his own phone uh within a year or two and that's been that's been a part of it. But I think as far as we're concerned there continues to be uh brands slowing down, taking a pause, um you know, feeling the waters out. Uh, in seeing how uh, Twitter is going to change under his control. Um, And again, you see a lot of back and forth with, um, you know, uh, Twitter pledging to roll out this new verification system this week and then saying they're not going to do it this week. And it's, it's, you know, brands like Certainty, and there's not a lot of certainty coming out of Twitter right now. And I, I think it's hard to see a lot of them coming back in full force until there's some stability back.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, I've personally noticed a lot more spam than I used to get as well. All right, let's talk about Martin Sorrell and Arthur Sadun. Uh, Frank, they've had a bit of a spat. What was that all about?
1: We're not going to lie. We, we enjoy it when they fight sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, makes for good copy. Um, right. So uh, Arthur Sadun, the CEO of Publicis Group, you know, did not uh, mince words and, you know, had a real used real Gallic directness uh, in responding to Martin Sorrell about um, Martin Sorrell's claim that um, bonuses that has paid out uh, were essentially just making up for um, bonuses that were not paid out in 2020 or during the earlier part, earlier part of the pandemic. Um, and uh, Artur Sedun did not take that well, and I'm, I'm going to read a bunch of long quotes, and they're all worth it. Oh
0: yeah, okay.
1: Uh, in that he said, <laughs> "It's quite amusing that Sir Martin is using childish make-believe stories about others." To distract from the epic fall of S4, which is Sorrel's company, uh, of S4 value in the last 18 months. S4 may have failed to pay out incentives during the pandemic, but that's not the case at Publicis, as he wrongly stated. In 2020, not only did we fully reimburse at the end of the year the salary sacrifices made by our teams voluntarily when COVID hit, we also paid out a record high level of bonuses for all of our teams who had been fighting. So hard, and then he uh, he took a few more shots at S four, uh, and it's uh, it's it's been entertaining for our readers. I'm sure it's probably not been as entertaining for for Martin Sorrell, but uh, it's uh, it's one of these interesting and and fun back and forths that we come across every now and then.
0: Yeah, so it's, it reminds me of the Canadian soccer manager calling out the Croatians before their game, and then uh, they subsequently got also thrashed. not a good idea. No, it wasn't a great idea, was it? They got thrashed. So yeah. Uh, interesting one. All right. Let's talk about we're coming to the end of the year. Like I said, what's the global economic outlook looking like for 2023? Frank, are we going to get a recession?
1: Really interesting. And and I um, I am not an economist, which you may have guessed from me being on this podcast. But um, it's interesting in that the growth this morning, the quarterly growth and and the most recent growth numbers put out by the federal government are better than expected. The Federal Reserve seems to be pretty optimistic about uh, where the economy is going. uh, At least, not as pessimistic as they used to be. The market seems to be bouncing back a bit. So, there's a lot of signs of optimism out there uh, about the business climate for 2023. But I think also a lot of uncertainty too. But it's uh, so it's a mixed bag, isn't it?
0: Bit of cautious optimism. Is that what you're seeing, Stacy? You've got a a uniquely global view at Accenture?
2: We really do, um, both geographically and from an industry perspective. And what we're really seeing is this macro environment. It's affecting different industries in a different way. So, for example, if you're really su- tied to supply chain disruption, you know, inflation, you're continuing to focus on crop cost. But just to the optimistic standpoint, We're actually seeing a number of companies and leaders use it as a catalyst for change. And they're saying, let's not waste the crisis. Let's push forward. And when you think about innovation, this is actually a chance to go faster and use this uncertainty to really try to push their organization to a new level and reinvent. So yeah. different uh, opportunities for different companies and different industries yeah that's uh,
0: that's interesting and uh what we've got to be careful is we don't talk ourselves into a recession because that would be stupid so Um, It's good to hear that there may be a bit of cautious optimism going into 23 and all the doomsday scenarios might not come to fruition.
1: Frank, let's do a quick roundup of people moves. A lot of good ones. Uh, A few you can read about only on PR Week, including a pair of big promotions at Lyft, which uh, has given Dominic Carr, their head of communications, uh, responsibility over marketing too. So that's an interesting move. And they have also promoted Sona Aleph Moon to oversee more of the communications department there. At the public affairs firm, SKDK, they have brought on Justin Goodman as an EVP in their DC public affairs office. He, I'm sure, had a really interesting job working in Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office, where he was there for nearly a decade and he was a senior communications advisor, a top spokesperson, and worked on a lot of really interesting issues. StubHub has brought on uh, the former head of comms of Peloton, Jessica Glyman, to lead their global communications. She was a four year veteran of Peloton before leaving earlier this year. The former Golan executive, Carolyn Detman, is uh, joining the female quotient as chief marketing and creative officer. Uh, They've also promoted Amber Coleman Mortley. Detman is going to report up to CEO Shelley Zalas. And Marriott Vacations Worldwide has brought on uh, the person who used to be the top communications executive at Tupperware. And that's Cameron Klaus, who is going to be VP of global communications at Marriott Worldwide. And one on the agency side, the chief reputation officer at Weber Shanwick, Nico Spring, uh, is set to step down at the end of the year after a long career at Weber Shanwick in Boston.
0: Yeah, lots of people moves, as always. And just to finish up, the PR Week Women of Distinction, we've opened up the call for entries.
1: Yes. Yes, we have. And uh, (laughs) so it is, um, the deadline for that is approaching soon. And we split it up into two categories, like we uh, have for the past few years. This is the event that used to be known as Hall of Femme. Uh, and it is split between women of distinction and women to watch, uh, women of distinction is the top, top level category, uh, and women to watch is, uh, made up of women executives, uh, moving up in the agency world and on the industry side. So you can, uh, there is a story leading our website that gives you directions on how to, uh, refer somebody for it, uh, and the entire process.
0: Yep. Make sure you check that out. Make sure if you haven't got your ticket yet for the Hall of Fame dinner, that's on Monday, December the 5th. Really looking forward to that. Our last big event of the year, but it's always a good, uh, good time. A salary survey. Please take a few minutes to fill that out so we can make it as, um, reputable as possible and get as many of you involved in that. And, uh, our healthcare awards are open for entries. You've got, uh, Um, into December to get those uh, entries in, as is Dashboard 25. So make sure you're uh, nominating all your comms tech experts to uh, be included on that list. Um, Stacey, thanks so much for joining us. Great to chat to you. And uh, I think we're going to see you at the IPR dinner tomorrow night. So that should be fun.
2: Thank you for today. And I'm so looking forward to tomorrow as well. Appreciate all your support. Should be
0: good be great to get the industry together again, back networking. But uh, that's all we got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.